Welcome to Grab Life Big. Grab Life Big. The exclusive podcast for healthy, wealthy, generous men who choose to lead epic life. Or as a few of us say, badass rich guys who do epic shit. And now, your host, Pat Hybin. What's up, guys? Let's go over the event schedule here first. I got the Fambundant Solar Eclipse Adventure, August 17th to 22nd. Special guest, Caleb Maddox. He's an incredible 15-year-old. He's got a massive, massive YouTube following. If your kids are not following Caleb Maddox, they need to. He will be there with his father. He is an incredible guy. Also, I got uh, the Tribal Gathering in Austin, Texas. Just announced Tucker Max. Uh, he wrote a couple books. One is Assholes Finish First and Hope They Serve Beer in Hell. Not necessarily the role model that uh, we want all you guys to follow. But, you know, you either love him or hate him. If you hate him, uh, maybe because he probably gave you or your spouse some sort of venereal disease. Allegedly, uh, he has uh, thrown away his behaviors and he is now a serious businessman and family man and you have an ability to talk to him in an intimate setting uh, get to know him he's got this company book in a box where he's creating books for people now that can sell a ton and for all the controversy that he did cause he sold a ton probably an incredible amount of books an incredible amount of books his first book was on the new york times bestseller list like a very very long time so that is going to be happening then and then we got the couples trip again you know might be one spot there reach out to melanie and find out, out about that and we got south africa probably a spot or two if anybody you know is interested depending on if this lodge we're staying at is full or not but uh, you can reach out to melanie about that that is going to be a crazy crazy trip we got 15 gobros already signed up for 10 days in south africa amazing and then, of course, our winter adventure in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Yeah, we got the Fan Bundance families January 13th to 16th. And then we got the Go Bundance Brothers. That's you, January 16th through 19th. And uh, we are definitely limiting this to 100 people. So definitely uh, get your deposit in now. Only costs a grand to put your deposit in. We are working on uh, a killer speaker list. You know, by the names again, if everybody likes Tucker. Garrett Gunderson is speaking, who wrote Killing Sacred Crowds and has an incredible company, The Wealth Factory. He's all about money and making money and saving money, investing money. And, of course, our boy Hal Elrod hopefully will be there, uh, dependent on upon how he's recovering. But he will be in Austin, too, by the way. So, you know, if you want to check out Hal, that's where he lives. So he should be there at the summer event there. Another reason to go to Austin. But we need... A group. We're putting together a group, and we want it to be GoBros. We don't want it to be elders. We want it to be GoBros because you guys understand, you know, oh, I didn't like that speaker last time, or I didn't like the way you guys did this, or this thing seemed like a waste of time. We really want your input. So we're looking at almost up to 10 GoBros. And the benefit is, you know, you get to help create our January event. And because there's 10 people, it's not like, you know, we're going to like stick you with a massive amount of work. We're just looking for your input and your creativity and your help a little bit and helping us put this whole thing together. And we want a lot of different opinions. So if you want to be somebody, one of maybe 10 or so people that helps plan the Steamboat event, please reach out to Melanie, Melanie at GoBundance.com. And yeah, so anyways, we're already starting to work on some incredible trips for uh, 2018 and definitely you want to get your uh, bucket list items checked if you haven't already for 2017 because there's amazing things there and one more thing guys please go to the facebook page and just in the search bar just type in pillar killer or if you look to the top it's saved to the top and fill out the form that we have for pillar killers and what a pillar killer is is you know, someone in the tribe, there's 130 members now, of the members that you know, who is a person that represents our six pillars? Age-defying health, boom, there's a guy in my head I think of already. You know, think of like an older dude that looks like a 20-year-old, or think of just someone who is like daily doing what's right to live forever. Extreme accountability, boom, who called you out on something recently? Nominate them. 
right? Easy, genuine contribution. Who's out there giving back? Who's making a difference? Who's making the world a better place? Bucket list adventure? You know, who's out there getting the goods, as Timmy Road would say? Who's out there having fun, right? Doing memorable stuff, taking pictures that if they died, they would hang them up at their funeral around the coffin. Here's me on Cager Bolton Rock. Here's me at the top of Kilimanjaro. Who's doing these bucket list pictures, right? Horizontal income. You don't want to nominate someone for horizontal income if, if their ratio is 10%, you know? Whose horizontal income pays their bills plus, 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 and authentic relationships? Who's, you know, who has an envious marriage? Really? Who has an envious marriage? Which one of the GoBros is having the most sex? Right? Or which one of the GoBros is getting the, the deepest relationships with people, has the most friends, is an incredible patriarch? That's a good one. Who's the best patriarch, right? For their family, who thinks like a patriarch? as we all should be thinking like patriarch. Nominate that person. But here's the killer, guys. You can't nominate an elder. Elders don't count, right? Because everybody knows the elder, so they're top of mind. And it's too easy to nominate an elder. So no elders, please. No Pat, Tim, David, Rock, Mark, or Mike. Zip. That's it. Pick. There's 124 others to pick from. Just scroll through your Facebook friends. Nominate six killer pillars, or at least just go in and nominate one or two. I don't care. And also, if you're tied, if you're like, man, this guy is, is hyper-focused on horizontal and this guy's hyper-focused, you can nominate them both. It does allow you to nominate more than one person for, for one category. So go and do it, please. Results to come in the future. It's a fun thing. So please do it. Thank you. That's it for now, guys. Grab life big, brothers. Grab life big. Glad you were home. I'm always home. I'm uncool. Me too. You're doing great, man. The only true currency in this bankrupt world is what you share with someone else when you're uncool. Is that my advice to you? And I know you think these guys are your friends. If you want to be a true friend to them, be honest and unmerciful. Life big. All right, go bros. Welcome to the go a burrow room. I have a great guest coming from sunny California today, Mr. Daniel Del Rio. Welcome to the go bro room where we practice brutal authenticity. What's going on, D? Uh, not much, Pat. Looking forward to it. Hey, buddy, why don't you give everybody a little rundown like the day you were born to today? in like four minutes how uh, you got it so uh daniel del rio i'm from uh california central valley california i was born in san jose um mom mom and dad were immigrants from mexico um i have uh three brothers one sister uh we moved up uh, my parents uh, moved us up to the central valley in in the early 90s to slow our life down a bit um there we uh you know we kind of got to see my parents uh you know, kind of struggle through life, and uh, and Dad taught us a lot of good lessons in regards to, uh, you know, working two jobs and saving saving money, investing money. I got to, uh, got to see my parents build up a nice real estate portfolio, and um, in the 90s, I joined the Air Force, so I spent four years in, in the Air Force as a military police officer, and uh, uh, that's where I met my wife, uh, Annie, and been married with her for 10 years next month, have three kids, um, got out of the service in 2003. At that point, uh, started my real estate career. So I've been in the real estate industry for the last 14 years, where you know I've been able to invest, to buy properties, and build a passive income, and at the same time build a real estate team with my brother, where um, we've just been dominating our market here the last um, really 10 years. Um, so I got, uh, like I said, I got been married for for ten years. I got three kids, and and that's my thing. So you know, my my income comes from real estate, but I've been really building my passive income. I'm a big budgets guy, so I'm I'm all about what my parents taught me in the past. It's not what you make; it's what you save and what you invest, and how much money you got working for you. So I, uh, you know, I I put my family on a budget uh, about seven eight years ago, and we've been living on that same budget um, regardless of the income stream and. And we've been saving 
the rest of the income. So, you know, li- I literally save half my income and invest it and try to build my passive income as much as I can and continue to build wealth. That's awesome, dude. That's awesome. So you and your wife are both Air Force veterans, right? Just just myself. Her brother was my uh, my partner for the last three years in the service. And he would, he would always, uh, we'd go on these long rides because we were in the car, patrol car all day. And He'd keep talking about his sister and his family. And <laughs> he kept saying, my sister needs a good man. She's dating this jerk. And you're like, wait, wait, wait let me see a picture. <laughs> you know, no, it, it, it was funny. You know, he brought her up uh, probably a year before I got out of the service. I wasn't looking for a relationship, you know. And and uh, he came, she came up for the summer and, and he told us, he says, hey, any of you assholes, you know, make a move on my sister and you're going to have to deal with me, right? <laughs> and uh, and it, was, it was a joke. And, and we... You know, she came over to our place because he, he'd spend, uh, you know, basically all his off time. We spent it together. And, you know, she she gave me her number and she tried calling me a couple of times and I was trying to avoid her. And eventually I just told him, I said, hey, you know, your sister was has been calling me and it would be OK if I if if I, you know, exchange conversation. And, and you know, he genuinely said, hey, you know, um, if any of my brothers would date my sister it would definitely be you we knew each other very deeply because we spent so much time in the cars you knew about my family knew about my faith he just knew knew me in general and i didn't you know didn't go in in a relationship expecting anything you know we kind of slow played it for a few months and uh you know i got out of the service and we kind of said okay let's see let's see where this relationship goes at a distance and I lasted about three months, and I told her, "Hey, you know, just buy a one-way ticket. We'll figure it out." And she she came down in December of two thousand three, and and everything was history. From there, she was eighteen years old, and I was <laughs> I was twenty one. Oh, she and, was eighteen. Okay. Yeah, and that's it. And, <laughs> yeah, ten years later, at first, because well, first I'm thinking, man, this guy's overprotective. I'm thinking his sister's like you know thirty or something, but uh, no. but you got okay. Now it makes more sense. And of course, she was, was she was sixteen when she he started talking about her. So <laughs> yeah, he was sixteen. No, he was yeah, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. I met her when she was seventeen years old. We oh getting- yeah, no wonder. <laughs> yeah, so. It was one of the things, like I wasn't looking for a relationship. <laughs> yeah, you're like, dude, you know, that's, yeah. that's hilarious. Well, that's good, man. <laughs> that's awesome, dude. All right, so uh, so let's talk about what you've done here uh, with your numbers here. What percentager are you? I am at 190%. Sweet. Now, my, I have two numbers, you know, because, you know, with self-employment, we, we tend to be able to lie to ourselves, right? So um, there's a lot of... Yeah, I live on a budget, so my budget's 150, 100 in a salary. I pay myself 110,000 a year, which ends up being about 6,700 net a month. My family lives on, and and I, you know, and that's that's my that's my lifestyle budget there. But we tend to hide a lot of things in the business, right? We have you know trips, or we have um, cars, or insurance, or things of things like that that we tend to hide in there. So yeah, I was gonna if, say there's no way a family of five, and, and unless you're living in a trailer park, you know, is living on sixty seven hundred. Yeah, well, my mortgage on my primary house is one hundred seventy five thousand, so I don't, you know, my expenses aren't super high. But when I look at the expenses that I have, uh, if I take, if I didn't have the business and I had to take on my, my insurance and my car and any of those things, my phone, my internet, then then uh, that that increases. So I have I also track that number, right? So that number right there, I'm sitting at a little less than a hundred percent. But then again, you know, if I end up cashing in and saying, you know, I'm done with real estate, then I don't need, you know, I don't need the um, I don't need to lease the car. I don't need to do a lot of the things that I that I do. So, but I like tracking both numbers because yeah. you know we tend to lie to ourselves if we say, "Hey, I've been oh, living yeah. a crazy budget," but then at the same, you know, we just spent a couple of days in Utah with the guys in GoBundance doing this Ironman, and you know we spent some money out there, and that didn't go into the budget. I get to write it off because we sponsored some of it. So, you know, things like that. You oh, uh, congratulations! Yourself. By the way, I see I see you were the the number one score of the twenty two uh, GoBundance people involved. Oh man, that's just a little part of it, man. It was just beautiful <laughs> to see like everybody come together and everybody suffer together and everybody persevere through that challenge. It was that's that's probably one of the t- top five things I've I've done in my life, you know. And really, just, it was amazing. Tell me about that. Like so, like what that. happened? Man, I'll, I'll probably get teary eyed wow. talking about it and think about it because it was uh it was it was just uh, it was very emotional, you know. We saw. 
a lot of the guys come together. Nobody left that field until everybody came in and we brought everybody in. And, you know, it was, uh, it, it wasn't, it wasn't easy conditions. It wasn't an easy race. And uh, these guys that signed up for this and the gals, I mean, they were in for a day of pain. Right. And, you know, I was in the service. So it really, I think the reason why I get emotional about it is, is because I haven't felt that feeling since boot camp and basic and academy academy training or even just the military service where you know you go into a, a field of battle or you go into an environment where you don't know what the outcome is going to be you just know it's going to be freaking painful right and whenever the day is over and you gather yourself and you see okay what's left what do we have going on and and then you see who's around you and then you don't need to say anything you just have that bond with those people that intimate love of brotherhood and I haven't felt that in 15 years. And, uh, you know, I felt that this week and it just brought up a lot of emotions for me, you know, and uh, it was just beautiful. There's a, you know, I would say one of my top five would be, uh, and, and I don't even know if he impacted me, like if he knows he impacted me this much, but Sal, Sal and his wife did this uh, Ironman and uh, he, I got to, we got to wait, there was Gary Jonas and and uh, Dan, Dan Greeb and Aaron and, we were all waiting for for Rosie to come in. She was the last one. It's it's Saul's wife, and and keep in mind, uh, Saul just finished like the guy just finished a half a seventy point three Ironman in the worst conditions, right? And everybody that did this, they'll tell you they were absolute tapped. I mean, they went to deep and dark places during this thing, right? And so I see Saul come by, and he had we're sitting at about a mile mark. Um, and I told him, hey, do you get a mile left? He gives me this big, fat grin, gives me a high five. <laughs> he can't speak, uh, but yeah. And his wife, <laughs> wife was probably still five miles away, Jeez. right? And yeah. keep in mind, you don't wow. know this because you don't know where she's at in this course here. This is a solo race, right? So you just know that she's been fighting the same winds and the same elevation that you've been fighting. And she's probably digging deep and going to these dark places you're just experiencing right now. And the crazy thing is he finishes this thing, right? And uh, and everybody will tell you once you finish this thing, you're done. You're spent. Like you can't take another step. And I turn around and I see this guy barreling the opposite, the opposite way of this course of where he just finished. And the guy ran an additional, I would say, two to three miles to meet his wife and run in with her. And then ran back in with her all the way to the finish line. It got to a point where like he had a jump because you couldn't run on the course with her but so he's running on the sidewalk where he leaped over this fence to um his adrenaline just leaping over the fence to, to give his wife a hug and a kiss when she finished this thing but just that just seeing that and i'm like man this guy just did this full 70.3 then turned around ran back two to three miles to run back in another two to three miles with his wife on adrenaline. I mean, it was just a beautiful thing. I mean, just seeing that. I mean, it's just, you get emotional just thinking of that. That's just one story to a lot of the other stories. Aaron's story, Greed's story of his weight loss, um, uh, Ernest Hernandez's story where he loses an, a nose plug uh, during the swim and he backstroked 1.2 miles, which was insane. And, and uh, wait, 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 have, wait, wait, wait. Okay, so yeah, you got to slow down. Okay, so first, what was Aaron's story? You know, you know, Aaron, 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 Aaron's story was was just. I mean, it's just a tough race for him. You know, okay. he was, his family was there waiting and cheering him on, and just seeing those emotions and you know, seeing the excitement in their girl's eyes when when the dad when their dad was finished, and yeah. seeing the fear in everybody before this big battle we were going into. I mean, there's just a lot of little stories of adversity like that that we all overcame. To, so to that make was it, just, and then the nose plug. What happened there? Oh, so Ernest ended up, uh, this is his first 70.3, end up, ends up losing a nose plug um, during the swim. So he's been swimming with his nose plug, so he couldn't swim with face down with a regular stroke. Because so he, he wasn't used to it? or He wasn't used to it. So, you so, know, and you're swimming, yeah. and there's thousands of people in this water just, you know, pounding your legs or punching your face, and you're getting through this damn swim, and uh, you're fighting some chop, and... This guy backstroked the whole the whole time, you know, and it he just, just went. He just flipped on his back and just did it, you know. Mark Mark Schrager will tell you his his story too. You know, he went through a little panic as well. Where yeah, he to told me he had a panic attack in the middle of the yeah. and and the boat came by and asked him. Then something happened with the boat. They asked him, "Do you want to yeah. get in the boat?" Yeah. Yeah, he's like he told them to come and gather himself and told them, "Hey, you got to finish this thing." And he took and you know he took off, but there was a lot of 
think a lot of stories like that, you know, where we just had to overcome a lot of things. And, you know, I think the biggest thing is, is that it created that bond that I experienced back in the military that people will probably never experience their whole life. Right. And we created this environment and, and accomplished this this last weekend. And I think that's why I get emotional. It's not it's because of all the stories of that event. And then it just brings back all the stories of all the young guys that, that joined the military with me back in the day and all their stories of adversity and, mm. and the perseverance and all that stuff. And it just brought all that back up, you know? And so it wasn't about who finished first, second, third or fourth. It was just back <laughs> yeah. Everybody, Everybody finished and everyone, and uh, yeah, that's amazing, dude. That was cool how it all came together too. You know I mean? It was so, it was totally organic too, right? It wasn't, it wasn't like Go Bundit said, hey, we're going to do this. It was like, you know, Aaron said, I'm going to do this or or you did, or someone said, I'm going to do it. (laughs) And the next thing you know, 21 people said, I'm in. Yeah, we started just, people just started recruiting and it it was cool. We we ended up having uh, these kits made, a six, six pillar racing team is what we had and you know, so every time you saw somebody on course, it was like a burst of energy. You know what I mean? Mm, um, yeah. So just a, it was just a beautiful thing. We all we got two houses next to each other. We had a chef going and cook every single meal for us. Um, uh, the guys flew in a coach that took us through meditation and visualizing the whole race. And you know, there's just a ton of just ton of good energy. It was a really good environment. So it's definitely uh, uh, one of those top five things in my life that I'll probably never forget. Wow, makes me want to do the next one. Now, I'm my you, my, my days are over with that, but uh, yeah, it makes me want to do the next one for sure. So so so, what was it? it? Ended up being like how many miles of of each? So it was one point two mile swim. Yep, um, and uh, it was a fifty six mile bike ride with mm-hmm. about thirty six thirty seven hundred feet of elevation. And that bike ride, we're battling some twenty thirty mile winds. Mm. Uh, we had. 13.1 mile run with uh, the first four miles being uphill with about 1,200 feet of elevation on that run and okay. that was it. Yeah. yeah. So okay, that's that that's awesome. All right. So what's your net worth, Daniel? Um, I'm I'm a little shy of 4.2 million without my business valuation. Okay, smart. Because your business your business is real estate sales, right? I just want to clear yeah, that up. Yeah. And there's really, uh, ideally, I mean, I could sell my team, I guess, or I could take a dividend from it for years. But um, reality, you don't know where that's going to pan out. So. You don't. You don't know. I I just spoke with Leo Pereira, uh, a big agent out in Northern Virginia, and uh, he just sold his team last week. And I spoke with uh, Steve Murray, who values real estate companies. He's works. For, he his company is Real Trends, and he does the. Um, wall street journal lists and uh he said a team just sold in alaska uh a dude in alaska his name escapes me for a multiple of 2.5 someone paid two and a half million for a million dollar net netted ebitda one million and uh a dude paid uh who you've heard of uh but i don't think it's public yet uh, paid uh, 2.5 for it with half a million down cash and then um, half a million a year for four years so anyways it's it's interesting first time in history i think i shouldn't say first time in history but you're starting to see some of that happen Mm -hmm. where it's very difficult i think at the end of the day you're right at go abundance we say you know go uh, give yourself a a 1.5 on it Uh, don't go 2.5 give yourself a one so if you do like how much what's your vertical income from it so that's that's one of the, when I I thought about okay if I sold it I would almost think the lo- most logical way to sell a business because it's hard the agents don't have a ton of money to say hey I'm going to buy your business for one half that's the thing that's the thing this right. the, they you know who who in your market here's what's different because when I sold mine to my partner Mike you know I, you know it was one of those things like who in my market could afford <laughs> you know you know, evaluation that we would, that a normal company might get. And it's, it's very few, but what's happening now, if you think about it with this big expansion phenomena going on, mm-hmm. you know, these agents, like there was an agent in Seattle, from what I understand, that wanted to expand to Alaska and create his team in Alaska. And that's who bought it. So it wasn't like who's the richest guy, richest agent in Alaska could that would buy it. Now people from all over the country or or whatever Canada even would might be willing to buy something in another area. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, you know, my thought was if I were to sell it somebody to somebody realistically, it'd probably be, you know, a certain amount down initially and then just a, a scale down portion, right? So, like, I, I'll stay on for a certain amount of time working and dedicating a certain amount of hours and then then taking say the first year would be a 40 percent and then the third the second the second year would be uh, you know increments of 10 or something until mm -hmm. i'm fully paid out 100 yeah. percent, right yep um, that would be a realistic way to say okay or you might even be able to work at saying hey look i'll stay on uh one day a week kind of consulting and and i want to build in a a residual income of 10 percent or five percent of all future um earnings right i mean mm -hmm. you could also build it like that where so, I mean, I would say, you know, be, I would probably give it a multiple of one uh, realistically, you know, everything else I think would might maybe be optimistic. What's, so um, what's the EBITDA on it right now? So my net, my, my net income from the real estate sales after, after everything is, is 770,000. Um, that's my, um, I guess you would call it vertical. And you do income. it with your brother or? You yeah, that do with my, I do it with my brother. That's not. That's not counting what my brother's take is. That's uh, just so my guess. So that's your take. That's my take, yeah. And you guys have a team together or you just work at the same company together? Well, we have a team together. So we make a lot of the decisions together. Um, I, can, I manage most uh, most uh, um, the accounting and the admin. He helps a lot with the training and things like that. So he's a marketing major. So we complement each other uh, and is very that, well. Is that, was last year your best year? Uh, yeah, last year was my best year. That's awesome. And uh, so what is your LTI, your left to invest? Well, I, I left over to invest I because my passive, my vertical, uh, my horizontal income is, is a little less than 200000 So I'm sitting, um, I, I have left to invest anywhere from 400000 450000 a year. That's pretty sweet. So what, what, how do you, your two hundred? is that all rental property? It's a mix. Uh, it was one hundred eighty thousand last year, which was a little lower than the year prior, just because we were pulling back from some of the flips. So we have a flip fund that I um, that we flip uh, projects with, and we have uh, you know we've been pulling some of that and putting it into some syndications. We got some money with the the Austin deal with Corey. We have some uh, we pulled some money and and put it with the commercial notes with with Dave and. Um, we have uh, a few a few funds with uh, with Cushman and a couple of his apartment buildings, and so we've been pulling some money from there, and it's going more at a quarterly pay and some uh, some buildups instead of uh, cash flow right now. So you're seeing that drop down, but mm. those payouts will be greater, and whenever those notes and those investments mature. Yeah, that's awesome. And and so the question therein lies: Are you are you finding the returns just too poor? in your local market like you know what i mean like someone might be thinking hey well you know you're going outside um and i think i know the answers uh, but i'm i'm asking you anyways uh you know are you finding like if you bought a house in your neighborhood or you bought a house within half an hour of of where you live is is, is the return just so crappy you know they, they uh, there was a point where our medium price was one hundred and twenty-five thousand, right that at that point it was like a feast right we're just crushing getting great deals now that medium medium price is sitting at about 270 so yeah those returns are just shit we're starting to sell a couple of our properties so we just sold a, a, a duplex in stockton we just i just closed escrow and sold one of my three units in uh in modesto a couple of weeks ago and we have another one going on the market for a duplex so a lot of these properties what we're doing is we're just reallocating assets you know if we have you know, on that triplex, I had about 10000 into it because I had to do a lot of work and I refinanced most of it out. And my return was great. I was getting, you know, $800 a month, right? 10000 or so a year. Um, on 10000 invested is a pretty good deal. But my equity on that deal, when I closed escrow, I got wired in 197000 right? So at a 10% to 15% return on that amount of money, I'd rather make twenty to 30000 instead of ten. So we've been we've been starting to sell off a lot of those projects and trying to reallocate some of those funds into different different investment vehicles that we wouldn't usually do you know just because the, the market here is just too tight so we're you know we're, we're looking and we look into florida and stuff like that we've done some work with lynn and those guys out there hmm. and kind of keep an open mind to anything that comes up yeah you know i'm finding the same thing i mean this is a great conversation people listening should really pay attention to this it's very it's fascinating to me because um i'm finding the same thing like um 
like I could go up and buy a shit ton of property and you know I'm, I'm originally from Maryland um, in Baltimore or surrounding areas I live in South Carolina now and there's some areas around here within 45 minutes or so that I can buy uh, you know pretty affordable houses but the returns are just not as good and and what what happens is is it's kind of like the sucker punch of single family ownership and that is uh, expenses like either the tenants you know end up being a nightmare right on one of five houses this is just my personal i'm pulling this number out of my ass but in one of five houses the tenant all of a sudden becomes you know stop paying or whatever and then uh the other another one of five houses you end up having a a a whole new air conditioner unit and and a new roof on it you know or a septic system and then so suddenly you get the profit loss at the end of the year and you're like damn i did i made nothing on that one and i made nothing on that one so i only made money on three out of five and then you look at the return and you're like you know shit i could give it to osborne and make you know 25 percent, or i could give it to you know some of these other deals cushman and and make you know 18 percent or or whatever and have no management like it it, it sucks some of your ego i think which is something to be aware of like you're like you can't go around saying oh i own you know x amount of rental properties you have to go around saying my money's investment in this 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 and all these weird things right that are to most people weird but if you take the ego out of it i guess the question i'll ask you is is that is that what you're finding that the the returns are just much better and the management is just so much simpler you know, the entry point, it, I think uh, single-family homes, I feel the same way, right? I'm, I'm exhausted with them. We have 51 single-family uh, doors, right? So they're not single-family. We have some multi-units. Like we have a 12-unit apartment complex. That's one of those things that, the, man, we're probably not going to make any money on that thing for the first three years, right? But, you know, the thing is, is that's a very important vehicle for everybody to start. The entry point is so low on single-families. Eventually, we'll have opportunities to invest in the funds that require, you know, a quarter million dollars to invest, right? Yeah. So it, it's an involvement of it. But we have to deal with the grit of single family. It, is it the best vehicle? Um, no, not at the stage I'm in now. That's what you're starting to figure out. But it was the best vehicle at that time when I was building wealth because, mm. you know, at the end of the day, my goal was to get into healthy debt, right? So initially I wanted to get into a million dollars of healthy debt so my principals were getting paid down. I was making some cash mm, flow. And that's interesting. Now, money right so there's a point like right now my principals go down close to ninety thousand dollars a year right so uh, i have three million dollars of loans so there's a lot of different things and positive things other than cash flow in these deals and yeah they're not all easy so then eventually as you start getting a little more equity you're going to want to exchange into some bigger projects and better projects with better returns and but initially i think single family is very very important and uh, i think that the, the grit and the grunt work of managing those, the, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, is it something that, that's very important for anybody's, uh, anybody's experience as they build up into bigger syndications and bigger right. deals, better investments. So, but yeah, it's true. I think that's something that, that we all need to talk about where people get tied up on these smaller homes where like you're buying them for 70 grand and uh, you're getting, you know, you're maybe into it 15, 20 grand and you're getting a cash flow of four or $500 a month. But you know what? I don't give a damn how cheap the house is and AC is still going to cost you five grand, right? So um, if you have right. that, you have those expenses, you know, what you have to do is you have a budget and you have a cash flow of three to $500 a month and a capital improvement of an AC or a roof is going to happen in the next five years. Well, realistically, you got to think, hey, look, I have to price that into my my, my cash flow because I could be rocking it out of the park for three years and then year four comes around and it wipes out the last three years, right? So we have to we have to talk about that more. And, and numbers, when it comes down to returns on investment, they could be manipulated to, to make anybody feel good, right? Um, you just have to look at them Yeah, constantly. that's a thing, right? No yeah, and sometimes you don't really get to look until you get your K-1 or it's the end of the year and you're like, okay, well, how much did I actually make on that? You know what I mean? Like how much... Like I put like 400 grand into one of David's deals and um, last year I got 52 grand, right? Profit from that, right? I got a K-1 for 52 grand and I have all these little rental properties in Baltimore City and, and this shit, right? And and um, I'm like, I looked, <laughs> you know, I looked at that and I'm like, 
you know, of the I have I have them in other areas too, and I can't say that. And I have some in uh, College Park near the University of Maryland. Those do really well. I mean, they competed with the 50, with the uh, Davids, right? So I'm like, okay, those are good. But these other ones, I'm like, hmm, you know, I didn't make crap on these. I barely made like ten grand on like this one area of six properties, and and I'm like. You know, it, I really had this realization at the end of the year when I started looking at K1s and actual profits. Now, like you said, every year could be different and you could be into something three years and not make anything and then year four start making everything. And I think at the end of the day, the advice is if you can have a balanced portfolio, just like a, a stockbroker would tell you, right? Diversify, have some single families that you're in control of you know, that are nearby. Some have some things that you're completely out of control of, like David's deals, or quite frankly, you know, any any outside deals, whether it's Lens, Andrews, David's, you know, anybody out there, uh, Greenleaf, Dave Kadria, um, and Josh, you know, they're all great deals. But at the end of the day, you are out of your, they're not in your control, like a, a single family, you know, 15 minutes away in your market. So I think the key is the, to have a balance. Right. Yeah, and that's that's what. So that's why my my um, my passive income dropped down last year a bit, just because we're working on diversification a bit more. And you know, instead of putting money in syndications, we have some money in the stock market. We have money into notes. We have money into development deals. So, just moving things around and just kind of learning while we go. And um, and and just I get I have my accountants now um, very just rehearsed every tenth of the month they send me my P&Ls my balance sheets and I review them and I'll see how we're doing and I move on so at, at the end of the day my my money my time is better spent in where I make most money and at this point it's real estate sales right so um, it why am I going to spend uh, way more time in these passive incomes that where I'm, I'm only really generating uh, a quarter of what I'm spending I'm making in real estate sales my you know my job is to really focus on generating income and continue and just to continue to invest and there's going to be a time and point where I'm going to pivot that attention to what makes me more money which will hopefully be my passive investments and as I scale out of the real estate industry but at this point you know very realistically um, these syndications and these 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 uh, these deals are very important to me because they give me my time back and that's one of the most valuable things that anybody could could get and they still give you a great return right so um, you just have to, like you said, you know, uh, get your ego and put it aside, and yeah, not worry about. It. I want to, I want to have a hundred doors, and you know, I just want to have a hundred checks. Right? I don't care. Yeah, I'll get yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you got to look, and you got to look, and you got to pay attention to the to yeah. what you're actually making. What at the end of the day, because you can get involved. I mean, I, I I'm involved in so many that you know. I couldn't tell you, you know, like, you know, which one is doing good and which one is doing bad. At, at, like, if you asked me today, but at the end of the year, you know, when I'm sitting down and I'm looking at all the K ones and I'm looking at the profit losses, then I can really say, you know, that was a that was a bad investment. So, okay, let's get on to this. This is, I mean, I could talk about this all day. I love talking about it. But what is your giving ratio? Um, I was doing the math uh, with time and all. I probably at about three to four percent. Okay, three to four percent, because you're close to a million bucks. So that would be you gave about thirty-five thousand dollars away to charity last year. I gave I gave a, a close to twenty, a little over twenty-five thousand in cash, and the rest was time. Um, so I'm 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 a um, chair for the development committee in the church. I'm very involved there. So we we uh, it takes up a lot of time. We also do uh, the only other charity that that we do is one life when we go over there to those events, and then we mm. we've done. Um, the um, feed the poor here locally, where we do um, through the through different organizations, we, we feed them. But um, other than that, that's that's really it's really where I'm at. So it's something that we could definitely improve and work on, you know. But I'm sitting at about four percent right now. So. That's awesome, dude. And what's your life happiness index? You know, I, if you would ask me that question, you know, three four years ago, it was I looked through my notes and it was way different. I'm at I'm at eight and a half. Eight and a half right now. That's beautiful, dude. And, and let's talk about health because obviously, you, you know, you don't get to where you're at with crushing this Ironman like you did without being healthy. Now, was this your first Ironman, or do you do these all the time, like uh, Aaron West? No, this is my this is my third. Um, third, this okay. Is, this is the third one I've done, yeah. All right, so so what do you weigh? One hundred and seventy-eight pounds. And how uh, tall are you? Six two. Oh, you're pretty six, tall. Okay, yeah. Yeah. That's, 
I got weighed in. My BM, my body fat is ten point two right now, so um, I'm as healthy as I've ten point two. What do you use to measure body fat? Uh, dunk tank. So we we have a we go into a dunk tank and they they dunk us into water weight. I don't know how it really works, but they yeah, where where do you find that? They have one here in Sacramento. The guys, the Nor NorCal tribe, we've done it before. So I just contracted the same guy. He drove out here, and we we got our whole team. Is it is that the Bod Pod? No, it's it's this guy that has this RV, and he has this big uh, weight scale inside a dunk tank, and you just submerge yourself in into it. Um, he puts a weight well bait, well uh, weight belt on you, and you ex excel all the air out of your body, and he weighs your body mass and your fat. You know, we need to get that for um, Colorado for uh, um, Steamboat for next January for the annual event because, you know, everybody talks about it, but there's so many different ways. I can tell you my scale is a disaster. You know what I mean? It does not anywhere near accurate. At least I'm telling myself that. Um, but um, but I, if I had a dunk tank, I mean – Anyways, I, I got to push McCarthy on that. If you talk to McCarthy, tell him to stop, you know, talking about it because he's mentioned he's promised it like the last three years and never pulled through. There's no hiding from that. I mean, it is what it is. So you know, scale, no scale. I mean, it, it's literally measuring your mass in water. So and, and, and I don't know how the science of it is, but it's it's pretty legit. What's your GB9 score? I never did the GB9. All right. Um, got to get you on this. I was middle of training, and so I was just <laughs> you did was, your own version. What yeah. what, uh, what about your like uh, now that uh, normal right? Not when you're training for a triathlon. What's your normal exercise routine? You know, I don't know what that is because no, my new normal has been training for triathlons and cycling events. So I constantly put things in my life that keep me training. Nice. So you have goals, huh? Yeah, we have to. It's either going to be a hundred mile. I think it, last year I did an. I uh, did a couple of triathlons, and I did uh, the Santa Cruz 70.3 and the the Napa Grand Fonda, which is a 120-mile ride with 13,000 feet of climbing. So you constantly have to keep putting things in place just to keep you going. But even if I'm not fully submerged into Ironman training, I'm still training five, six days a week, 10 to 12 hours a week. And if, when I'm training for Ironman, I bump that up to, you know, anywhere from 13 to 15 hours a week. And uh, and and that's that's what it's just been my new normal so it's been my new normal for the last couple of years what about your diet you know my wife is a i'm very ignorant when it comes down to food i just eat what my my wife uh puts in front of me so mm. she's very very healthy so in the morning usually we do, do a lot of sweet potato we do a lot of spinach eggs um you know prior to the race a lot of the guys cut off sugar carbs and uh, dairies from their diets and all alcohol so you kind of continue that lifestyle to a certain percentage, right? So I don't eat a lot of carbs. I don't eat a lot of bad foods. So you kind of keep your diet clean. I don't drink a lot of alcohol just because you're training. So it, it becomes a lifestyle. You just tend to adapt to it and just kind of keep it. So my uh, my lunches are very good. My dinners usually tend to be like a spaghetti squash pasta or some kind of mm. chicken fish dish that my wife does. A lot of asparagus, asparagus or greens or a bunch of a bunch of different menus that she usually puts together for me so that's awesome that's how you're lucky you're lucky that uh, you know that that she's so healthy right because that's kind of like having an in-house accountability partner you know to, yeah man you know she she realized that you know when i was neglecting myself for a while and there wasn't you know i think it was uh, what four years ago at the abundance one of the abundance events where um i was at the heaviest i was i was i mean i was pushing over 205 i have no idea what my body fat was at that point and i did a life insurance test i wanted to get my life insurance so they did a blood blood test on me and they said that i was pre-diabetic right so Jeez. so you know you got to change your life when that happens you're like well shoot man i thought i was i didn't think i was that fat and out of shape but um you know it is you as you start having kids and you you have you have a responsibility to stay healthy and stay mentally sharp for them and for your business. And yeah, it's even more difficult with kids because kids are carbaholics and, you know, and, and you end up eating a leftover macaroni and cheese or whatever they don't eat, you know. So, you know, it's uh, if you can maintain that and, and your wife can maintain that with the family, I think that's that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Yeah. So so you're um, OK. So, you know, one of your five greatest hits in life has been, uh, let's say, the St. George gig. What What are four more? If you were, you know, any country music or rock and roll star, you'd have a greatest hits album. 
You know, I don't want you to give each kid's birth one, but let's say the second one is the birth of your children. What would the three other greatest hits be? Yeah, I think I would go by order of events that happened. I would say, number one, I got to give it to the fact that I was born uh, in an immigrant family, right, where my dad taught me uh, when you see the street, you don't see pavement. You got to see gold. And he taught me <laughs> how to work hard. And- Immigrate from where? Uh, he, he's an immigrant from Mexico, right? So they're they're just an immigrant family. My parents never had a high school education, so I think that's probably one of the biggest. So wait a minute, let me get let me back up a little bit. So your dad and and your mom was she Mexican as well? Yes, both of them were. So they were they were born in Mexico. They met in yep. Mexico. They got married. They have you in Mexico? No, I was born here in in uh, California. So they so came for, over, right? Yeah, they came over as like kids almost. Uh, they came over. My dad came over at 17. My mom came over at 16. No family, just ran over the border, just like a lot of the people that did that, that do it now, right? So I definitely have a soft spot for what's going on right now with immigration, considering that you know I came from immigrants. Uh, granted, so, my parents are now both citizens, but so that was 30 years um, ago. It was a lot easier. That's probably one of the greatest hits, just because it taught me uh, how to be humble, how to be hungry, how to how to uh, work hard, save my money, and and. Look for opportunity you know so okay so this is fascinating so did they have to hide or anything 30 years ago or it's pretty much like if you made it over you were good yeah back in the day it was different so because you, you you think back of, of uh civil rights movements right so mm-hmm. when my dad came back a lot of the cheap labor back in the day which is an african-american force um was was now all of a sudden they're in the light of getting more rights right so what happens is the borders loosened up because they needed to replace those jobs with immigrant jobs right so then those that immigration um they tend to turn their back to let people in to create and take those jobs because of the new class of uh not i wouldn't say slavery but it's it's a it's that that class of people that do those jobs right? okay so let me let me again slow this down so so what you're saying is the with the civil rights movement the the black, whatever you want to call it, right? Um, that was the lower class. They started getting rights, and then, and then they had to be paid more fairly, right? right? And so people started looking to save money, and they couldn't do that, right, with the, the current class anymore. So then they, that's where the Mexicans started coming over, and the government turned, their back. turned its back consciously. Absolutely. To allow that, and who was president during all this? You know, I'm, I'm not sure it was what, in the 60s and 70s with all this happening. Okay, so so, so they said, hey, look, like, you know, the, you know, in Texas or whatever, they they need roofers or whatever. People, we don't want people complaining that um, they got to pay too much for a roof or whatever. We're going to turn our backs and just let it happen. Or there, or there were lobbyists for the roofing industry. Let's just say. The landscaping. I don't want to stereotype, but you know that this is what you're saying. I mean, people with backbreaking work. You know, labor. What were they doing? Picking cotton, fruit. I mean, all that stuff. My parents. That's that's what happened. So they saw opportunity. They came here, and that's how they came over. You know, fortunately, you know, through um, through the process, my parents were able to get citizenship in the mid '90s, right? But so for a while, I was exactly where um, you know I was. It was it was Diego and Gonzo. I mean, you know that right? Diego. Gonzo's fine because he's younger for whatever reason, but Diego's screwed. He can't, you know, he couldn't come to Canada, and he just got his license like two years ago. Where where Gonzo got his right away, and he's like three, four years younger. So, anyways, it's interesting what's happening. So, uh, so that happened. Okay, so I don't mean to sidetrack, but again, it's a fascinating subject. So, um, what else you got? So that's one of your greatest hits. Yeah, that's one. I mean, second thing would be, you know. Serving our country, you know, joining the Air Force, um, mm-hmm. there was there was a, a big lesson learned uh, there, and it made me into a man, and it uh, it uh, helped it put me in contact with my wife, which is a good thing, you know. And so I would say that uh, you know, meeting my wife and having my kids, of course, that has to be that has to be one of them. And um, I would say one of my greatest other greatest hits when I was 27 years old is I uh, invested into a business with an uncle of mine. We ended up, I ended up losing like 50 grand. I ended up closing shop there in about a year. And that what, was one of the- What type of business is that? It was like a flooring business. So I was doing flips at that time and he came to me and said, hey, I think we could do make, make good money here with, with, uh, with uh, pricing. And you know, I invested in with him and, and, and did that. And it just wasn't going well. He just didn't operate it well. And you know, I was young at that, at that time. And 
you know, I had to pull the plug and, and just, you know, wrote a check to get out of the lease that I was in. And, and that was one of the biggest lessons for me, one of the most important lessons for me, because I, that's when I really disconnected from money. I wasn't really upset. I went into it knowing that, hey, if I lose money, it's just what it is. I'm not going to hold it against anybody. I'm a big boy. And that was that was a big pivotal point for me in the way that I do business is that, hey, look, you, you go in, you invest in people, and sometimes you're right, sometimes you're wrong. How do you learn from it? And, and don't get emotionally attached to the money because, like I say, in, in, in uh, you know, in, in, in uh in our church is, you know, ownership sinks stewardship, right? So if you, if right now the, the, the money that we have is borrowed money, it's what we do with our talent and time and treasure with it and uh, how many people we're able to help, we'll, we can make uh, and grow it. And uh, at the end of the day, it's going to exchange hands when I'm, you know, six feet under. So, yeah, I mean, uh, that, that I love that philosophy. I, I think so many families and, and, and friends, you know, could be saved if everyone had that same philosophy as you, you know, where, where you're not attached to it, but, uh, it's just terrible to see, you know, families get broken up over money and people get broken up friendships. It's, you gotta, I, I've had to do the same thing. I've had to, you know, detach myself from it, from, from friends and, and businesses that went under and leases that I got screwed on, uh, and had to pay, you know, money on for, the continuation of the lease. So I've had a bunch of those. So it's just part of life, part of being a capitalist. And then you just yep. have to chalk it up to that. So uh, let, let's uh, wrap this up with something, one of the spins here, uh, Daniel, from the GoBundance app. Are you ready? Yeah, sure. Daniel Delrio, what's your best fight story? Jeez, best fight story. Physical fights, just regular fights. Um, you know what? No, I'll, my best fight story was with my wife. It was one of the most important conversations I've had, and I think I shared this with at Aaron A's house when we did a fan abundance, appreciative inquiry with Brother James. I, I think I shared it with uh, Matty A. Um, I I had a conversation with my wife. Uh, and it was it was a uh, it was a heated one about our relationship, and it was a very tough one we had, and it's probably one of the most important conversations we've had, you know. And uh, I would I would chalk it up to that. And if you want, I'll go into a little bit of detail what happened there. But yeah, of course. All right. So so um, you know, my wife and I have been fighting. And my pod knows about this. I've been fighting with a uh, more connection with my wife. You know, I just uh, it's just something that I just want to constantly keep getting better, and I'm not great at it. Uh, yet, but then I'm, I'm constantly working on it, and I think we've made a lot of advances to, to the right direction. But you know, there was a time and a place where you know years ago where I was working a lot, and you know she was a nurse and she was she had her career going, and uh, we had uh, we just had a, a, a baby. Uh, I think he was a year or so old, and we weren't connecting really uh, romantically, emotionally, physically, or any of that stuff. And you know, I'd I'd, I'd say uh, I'd, I'd constantly. Uh, you know, pray that, that, uh, I, all the thoughts I had, you know, as a man, we're all, you know, our eyes wander, our minds wander. And if you're not connecting with your wife physically, you, I started seeing people in my office that I would constantly see all the time. And I started looking at them in a different way, you know, like meaning, man, look at that. She's just smoking hot or just thinking impure thoughts about them or anything else. And it just, it was really consuming me, right? Where I'm like, man, I don't like this. Why am I having this, uh, these thoughts, right? And I just wasn't connecting with my wife. So I'm like, look, I, I just gotta, I gotta, I gotta get this off my chest, right? Because I'm asking for God and help and guidance, right? So uh, we're sitting at, at uh, sitting on the bed and we were having this this kind of heated conversation, and I and I and I broke down. I told her, hey, look, I gotta, I gotta put this out for you right and it's not gonna there's no easy way to put it but I, I gotta make you aware of it because if we're not both aware of it then we can't fix it and, and I, I told her I said hey look I've been having uh, these thoughts of these women and I, I know it's not right and I think that it has to do with us not connecting and it was one of the hardest conversations I've ever had with my wife right I was never I never cheated on my wife or any of that stuff but you know that telling somebody you love and, and telling them something like that that's just going to devastate them and hurt them, it was a hard conversation to have, but it was such an important conversation because from that day on, our relationship completely changed. She was more aware of it. I was aware of it. I felt like I got this monkey off my back, and you know, I started, we started, uh, started looking at my wife differently. She started 
you know, kind of pursuing me a little more. And, and then she just kind of understood where I was mentally. And, and I guess so that would be one of the, I think that was one of the best fights that I've had. One of the, if, if I could chalk it up to that, that would be it. That's pretty awesome, you know. I mean, for me personally, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you. I'm like, shit, I need to have that with my wife, you know. I mean, I think everybody goes through that on, on some level. And personally, since you shared that, I'll, you know, share too that, you know, like, you know, she's my wife's fifty one now, so she's, you know, going through menopause or whatever, and she's, you know, we we constantly have guests over and we constantly have stuff going on and then just it's just like you know the connection and the the sex has dropped off and and uh, it's like i want to tell her that but like you said uh, i don't want to like hurt her feelings you know what i mean like uh, hurt i love her so much i don't want to hurt her that was a tough it was a tough conversation but don't assume that she knows and that was one of the things i kept telling myself is you know how many guys that i see get divorced because these 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 thoughts and this relationship just continue to drift away where it got too far and you did something you shouldn't have done. Mm. And if you had that conversation and pump those breaks happens quick, all the time. Yeah. Yeah, man. And, and you know, the thing is, it's like, I'd rather, I'd rather get, you know, I, it's like, I'd rather take the punch to the gut than take the punch to the face five years later. Right. Yeah, and right. Like, yeah. Or for the rest for, of your life. Right. Yeah. And you know, now we got kids involved and it was, it was about having the conversation for them. And, and that was just, you know, it's just one of those things. It's like, man, it's scary going in there having that conversation because you know you're just going to hurt that person, right? right. Like, yeah, right. How, how are you going? How are you going to make it constructive? And you know, I think a lot of it has to do with with um, with our faith too. You know, it's like uh, I think she, we both really got closer to God, so it, it's it's also holding ourselves accountable to a higher power other than our spouse or ourselves, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, awesome. um, for her, she 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 would have probably bitten my head off if I would have had that conversation with her two years prior. But since we're in a different place, uh, she, she took it with grace and she, uh, she, she was open-minded about it. And, you know, we both cried, right? We both cried in that conversation and it was super emotional. We hugged it out. And uh, the next day it's like we got newly, newly married. It was bizarre. It was like one of the best conversations I've had in my life. Breakdown is a breakthrough, right? Yeah. And you know, that's what we do. We were talking about that in training, you know, you're like, you know, it, the, the, the bad training days are important, right? The bad, the bad experiences and the bad things are so important because it, it, it gut checks you to what reality is, right? So you, you, you tend to have bad training days and it makes those, those good training days that much more valuable, right? Because it gives you that perspective, right? And um, that's just one of those things with any relationship, everything that everything can't be perfect. You need those fights. Like a relationship, a healthy relationship needs those fights in order to to know what's good, right? Hmm. And wow. that's just one of those things that you deal with in business, you know, in life. And, you know, that's one of the things that I, that I, um, you know, if I look at my life and I look, I try to look at everything that's positive and I see I'm really blessed, you know, I, we've, we have a lot of opportunities opened up to me, you know, I've got really, you know, I've worked hard, so I got really lucky on a lot of the stuff. And I feel like there's going to be a point in time where God will challenge me, right? My life will be challenged. And it might be when my mom had cancer a few years ago. You know, that might that was one of the things that, you know, it brought us closer. That that year was just a struggle emotionally for all of us. And, and I look back, I'm like, God, man, we needed that because my mom is healthier. We're healthier. We're closer. Mm, yeah. My mom now lives next door to me. It's like it's like there's so many good things that came out of that bad experience. We need those more in our lives, right? Well, here's here's the smart part. The smart thing you did is you made it about you rather than her. I think the natural reaction would have been for you to be like, you're cold, you're frigid, you're, you know, this. And then it automatically makes, you know, the person you're talking to extremely defensive and shuts them down. But you were intelligent enough to say... I'm having these thoughts. I feel this way. So it's all about you. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then it, it there's no defense, you know, which was which it could have gone, you know, massively wrong, but uh that that was awesome, dude. You, I don't know if you thought that out, but that was smart. That was one of those things that just fortunately we we talked about it the right way. So Yeah. That's great, dude. Well, listen, man, this this has been great. Uh, I, you know, I can talk all day. You've got um, you've got some great insights and some great stories. And thanks for, uh, 
you know, coming on and, and, and being so candid and, and all that good stuff. So, Daniel, listen, best of luck to you and um, look forward to seeing you at the next event. Likewise, man. Thanks for the time. And man, I appreciate it. Appreciate you guys and everything you guys have done, this environment, uh, the tribe that you guys have put together. It's absolutely life changing if you're if you're uh, willing to embrace it and experience and be open to the experiences that people put out there. So I appreciate you guys deeply and I'll see you down at the at the winner of it. Grab life big.